Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Adventist education. We thank you for the impact that it has on the lives of so many young people. We pray, Lord, that as we discuss today, as we talk together about the very important elements that can help Adventist education be successful, that your spirit would guide us. Pray that you would speak through me and that the words that I say would be from you and not from myself. In Jesus' name, amen. As you have probably seen from the seminar booklet, we have two days. So our series is a two-part series, and it's called The Three-Legged Stool. We'll get into a little bit of what that means a little later. But the first part that we're going to talk about today is the distinct aim, focus, and outcome seen in Adventist education, practically applied through something that we're calling the Key Three. Welcome. One of the things that I've heard people say before is that the book education, which is our blueprint, is wonderful, it's phenomenal, but it's very philosophical. And it's difficult sometimes to take some of the practical elements from that book and apply them and, and see how they would look and see how they would function. So today we're actually going to be taking some of the philosophical framework ideas up from the book Adventist Education the philosophical overview, and condensing them, synthesizing them down into three key principles, operational benchmarks that we can see in Adventist education for, for success in our, in our schools. A little personal introduction. My name is Jeremy Hall, and I have the privilege of serving with Diane Barlow, my superintendent at the Michigan Conference Office of Education. And I am a product of Adventist education. I'm also a product of homeschool Adventist education because homeschooling is Adventist education as well. And um, I, I went to Adelphian Junior Academy as a young person, and then I had the opportunity to come to Great Lakes Adventist Academy right here. Although I have to be honest with you, math and I never got along, and so it's interesting how I'm sitting in the <laughs> teaching in the math classroom right now. Um, but just had a wonderful experience here, and then went to Andrews University. And then I actually came back to work here at this very academy as the boys' dean. And I did that for five years, and then I transitioned into teaching religion and being the campus chaplain. And then I went to Indiana Academy, where I uh, came to know the Courier family. I was there for three years, and then came back and just about to my third year at the Office of Education. And I work with the secondary schools primarily, although I'm doing all kinds of different things in the education department. So that's a little bit of an introduction of who I am. As I talked to you a little bit before, I think it's important to set before you a purpose, something that will guide where we're headed. The next two days will attempt to synthesize the key philosophical objectives of Adventist education into three basic goals. So think of a funnel. We have this ideal, philosophical ideal of what Adventist education is, and we're going to basically try and synthesize that down into three basic goals. And we're going to show specifically more so tomorrow, how the home, the church, and the school can work together to accomplish them. That might give you a little hint of why the title of this seminar is the way that it is. So in day one, we're going to examine the philosophical framework of Adventist education, synthesized into three basic concepts. Day two, we're going to look at how the home, church, and school can collaborate together to accomplish these three goals. And as a teacher, I want this experience to be interactive. I want it to be collaborative. If you have a question, if you have a comment, if you don't understand something that I'm saying, as a teacher, one of the worst things you can ever do is to be talking on and on and on, and people look at each other like, I don't have a clue what he's saying. 
right? That's the worst. So I may not have the answer to your question, but I'll take your email address and I'll figure it out for you by God's grace and email it to you. But I want you to feel comfortable sharing, asking questions if you need clarification or, or want to contribute to the process, okay? Adventist education has a different aim. It is unique when compared to all other forms of education. Public school education is definitely not like Adventist education. Other Christian private parochial schools are not like Adventist education. Would you agree? We have some specific key benchmarks that help frame what Adventist education is and what it's meant to be in the life of a young person. Look at some of these quotes that, that may be familiar to you coming from the first chapter of the book, Education. Our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. There is a need of a broader scope, a higher what? Aim, a higher aim. True education means more than the pursual of a certain course of study. It means more than a preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with the whole being. That's an important word to remember. The whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, the spiritual powers. It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy and for higher joy of service in the world to come. Wow, welcome. What a power-packed statement. In a knowledge of God, all true knowledge and real development have their source. Wherever we turn in the physical, mental, or spiritual realm, in whatever we behold apart from the blight of sin, this knowledge is revealed. Whatever line of investigation we pursue with a sincere purpose to arrive at truth, we are brought in touch with the unseen, mighty intelligence that is working in and through all. The mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God, the finite with the infinite. The effect of such communion on body and mind and soul is beyond what? Estimate. It means you can't sit down at a calculator and create an equation that will be able to estimate its value. It is beyond our estimation. Very, very powerful. So truly then we have a different aim in Adventist education. We also have a different focus, don't we, in Adventist education. Listen to this quote. Through sin, the divine likeness was marred and well nigh obliterated. Man's physical powers were weakened. His mental capacity was lessened. His spiritual vision dimmed. He had become subject to death. Yet the race was not left without hope. Everybody should say amen to that. By infinite love and mercy, the plan of salvation had been devised, and a life of probation was granted. To restore in man the image of his maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul, that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized, this was to be the work of redemption. This is the object of education, the great object of life. So you see what our focus is, to restore in man the image of his maker. Then, consequently, we have a different outcome. So we have a different aim, we have a different focus, and we're looking for a different outcome. Isn't that the reason why we put our young people into Adventist education? We want a different outcome for them. We want, them, we want the end product to look different than what secular society is putting forward. Can you say amen to that? I mean, that's, that's what we want to see in our young people. That's why we put them in our schools. That's why we invest so much of our church budgets. That's why we invest so much of our personal budgets 
to help our own children to be in school, to help other people, people's children be in school. We want a different outcome. Such an education, Adventist education, provides more than mental discipline. It provides more than physical training. Note this, it strengthens the character so that truth and uprightness are not sacrificed to selfish desire or worldly ambition. It fortifies the mind against evil. Instead of some master passion becoming a power to destroy, every motive and desire are brought into conformity to the great principles of right. As the perfection of his character is dwelt upon, the mind is renewed and the soul is recreated in the image of God. Now, we've been reading through a number of quotes, but the reason why I put these in here is because it's important for us before we move forward to have an understanding of what our philosophical foundation is. You agree with that? Okay, so these quotes are some of the most, I believe, powerful quotes that lay the framework, the foundation for why Adventist education exists. So just to summarize, so we have a different aim. Our aim is the harmonious development of the physical, mental, and spiritual powers. We have a different focus. Our focus is to restore in man the image of his maker. And three, we have a different outcome. We want strength and character. We want fortified mind and we want recreated soul. So those three things could sum, somewhat summarize what Adventist educational philosophy is all about. So then what are the key three? The book Education is a very philosophical book, as I told you. The key three I would propose to you are three principles that if a school strives to achieve these three basic principles, they will, in a sense, be accomplishing the overall philosophical thrust of what Adventist education is supposed to be. Now, I'd like to tell you that I can take credit for coming up with these key three. I can't. These key three principles were actually given to us at a board retreat a number of years ago by our current union president, Elder Don Livesay. He was up there sharing with it. I was asked to come as a guest board member, and he shared these three philosophies. He said, these are the three keys to success in Adventist education, and I'm going to share those with you uh, now. The first of the three keys, okay, so bringing students to the foot of the cross, quality at all levels, and training young people in the mission and the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Elder Livesay proposed to us that if these three keys exist in a school, you will see success in the outcomes we are wanting in Adventist education. Let's look at them a little bit more. The foot of the cross. What exactly are we talking about in this? Well, what we're basically wanting is that for a young person to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what we want. Adventist education, I believe, should be looked at as a nine-month evangelism series. 180 days of evangelism, as Diane talked about yesterday, where young people every day at some point throughout that day, we pray, are given an opportunity to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. And it looks like a, a number of different things. We want them to understand the beauty of the gospel. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. We want Christ to be presented to our young people. We want them to experience conversion in their heart. What that conversion looks like, repentance, confession. We want them to know and understand that if they come to the foot of the cross, they can receive forgiveness. They can be accepted by God. And we want them to be educated in how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How to have a devotional 
life. This is probably the most important of the three keys, bringing young people to the foot of the cross. Notice this quote by Ellen White. The great work that is wrought for the sinner who is spotted and stained by evil is the work of justification. By him who speaketh truth, he is declared righteous. The Lord imputes unto the believer the righteousness of Christ and pronounces him righteous before the universe. He transfers his sins to Jesus, the sinner's representative, substitute, and surety. Upon Christ, he lays the iniquity of every soul that believeth. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a beautiful passage giving us a deep understanding of what the gospel is and what coming to the foot of the cross looks like. That's what we want each and every one of our young people to experience in school. Meaning, we want our teachers, our principals, our staff to have a posture of evangelism in everything that they do throughout that class period. We're not talking just about having Bible class. That's a given. If a teacher says to me, oh, I'm having Bible class, I'm going to say, well, that's nothing special. That's what you're supposed to do. It's not talking about just having worship. We have assembly every day. Well, that's wonderful, but that's not what I'm talking about. I, those are great things, and you can experience the foot of the cross in those things. But I'm also talking about those one-to-one -one conversations, those times when you have prayer with a student, those times when you ask maybe in the old, older uh, ages, how's your devotional life? How, it, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about your church? What do you, things that can open up a child's heart to being willing to accept that Jesus loves them and has died for them. In the highest sense of the work of education and the work of redemption, in the highest sense, rather, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. For in education, as in redemption, other foundation can no man lay than that, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It was the good pleasure of the Father that in Him should all the fullness dwell. The great principles of education are unchanged. They stand fast forever and ever, for they are the principles of the character of God. To aid the student in comprehending these principles and in entering into that relationship with Christ should be the teacher's first effort and his or her constant aim. Wow! That is powerful. To aid the student in comprehending these principles and in entering into that relation with Christ should be the teacher's first effort and their constant aim. The teacher who accepts this aim is in truth a co-worker with Christ, a co-laborer with God. Yes, please. I don't have a teenager at home yet, but I can see how when you get to your teenage years, your parents have laid a foundation for you, but I think you get to a point where you're your teachers and things mm -hmm. like that have more of an influence on you than your parents at that point. That's right. So I think maybe the idea of the teacher being more of an influence on a teenager may be more likely to get them to accept Christ at that time. Mm -hmm. Even though the parents have laid that foundation, yep. I think a teacher, teacher is more influential. What a great point. Thank you for sharing that. It is so true. And the Barna Research Group did a study and they found that if a young person doesn't accept Christ by the age of 17, there is a 3% likelihood that they will after that point. So that just makes the home and the school, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in these very elements, 
that, much, that relationship and that teamwork that much more important. You're exactly right. Teachers should be continuing forward the work that we hope is happening in the home. And sometimes kids, they, okay, fine, you know, I've had enough of this, and then they go to school. They're hit doubly with it, right? And if they have a relationship with their teacher, they're going to say, you know what, maybe what my parents are saying is actually true. And unfortunately, we're also living in a time when we have young people in our schools who have not had a good foundation laid for them, which makes this point here even more important. The primary goal that a teacher should have in our schools is to be pointing young people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You do that first by modeling it yourself. And then challenge, you have to have a relationship with your kids, but if you have a relationship with them, challenging them, asking them, how's your relationship with Christ? I've never had a student in all the time I was a chaplain ever get offended when I asked them how their devotional life was. Ever. I've never had a student be offended and turn me down when I've said, hey, can I pray with you? Never. Ever. As a matter of fact, I think the opposite is true. They've appreciated it. So I can't stress that previous point enough. Bringing students to the foot of the cross every single day in everything that we do, we need to be looking for divine appointments because that's why we exist. And in the philosophical framework that we talked about previously at the beginning with all those quotes, that I think is clear that we have a different aim, we have a different focus, and we're looking for a different outcome. And if our schools are not setting up their programming and their mission around that principle, they're going to fail because that's why our schools exist. That's why our schools exist. And so when I was at Indiana Academy, one of the things that I did was I adopted these three principles and we actually implemented them into the philosophy of the academy. And everything that we did in our school program, we tried to run through these three principles. Is what we're doing in our programming bringing students to the foot of the cross? Is what we're doing going to do number two, which we're going to talk about? And is it doing number three? If it's not, you need to look at excising it. And if it, something new comes in, if it fits those models, you need to implement it in. Okay. The next one, quality at all levels. <clears throat> We're in a different climate today in Adventist education. I think 40 years ago, if you had, you know, Seventh-day Adventist school across a building, everybody that was in the church, they were going to send their kids there. It was just, there wasn't even much of a discussion. Some of you maybe that um, can attest to what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe you feel it's true. I see some head nodding. It was just a given. If you had kids and you were going to church, they were going to be in the church school. Well, today, that's much, much different. Today, if parents find something within the school that they don't feel meets the needs of their family or they don't feel like something's done professionally, they are going to be moving along to something different. Now, I don't think that we should have quality at all levels just so we can keep kids in our school. I think we should have quality at all levels because we represent Jesus Christ in our school. And I think sometimes we fail at that. We're going to talk about that now for a few moments. What do I mean when I say quality at all levels? This is something, obviously, that we're going to be striving for until Jesus comes because we're not perfect. But we need to be strive, striving to have top-notch academics. We want to make sure that our classes are solid, that we're doing good things to assess whether students are learning, that we're modifying our instruction, that we're providing things for our students that, that also interact with their hands and reinforce um, you know, different types of things educationally and, and in a curricular sense. We want to make sure that we're communicating with our parents. 
We want to make sure that we're putting forward a professionalism when we interact with families. I will tell you that I am more likely to spend a few more dollars for a product if I feel like people are treating me kindly than if somebody's short and abrupt and I feel like I'm bothering them. You know, have you ever interacted with somebody at a store and you're like, do you want me to buy your stuff or not? You know, it's like they're just rude, they're short, and you have people that are really, really nice that bend over backwards for you. You're like, boy, you know, I might spend a few more dollars just because I feel like I'm being taken care of. And if something happens with this product, I can go back to them and they'll probably take care of things. We just had our carpets cleaned in our house, in the living room, in the family room, and then we had our couches cleaned as well, professionally. And we spent $220 on getting that clean. I mean, that's not a little cheap little bill. And when we got finished with it, um, they left, and the couches still looked like they were a little bit dingy and they weren't as clean as we had expected them to be. So we waited a little bit longer, and then I called the company. So impressed with how they handled things. So impressed. They were talking about this, talking about that, and then they said, you know, we're going to make sure that we come out and we'll check this out um, if, you know, if things aren't done the way they are. Wait a little bit more, see if it dries. Right after the holiday, it was actually just over Memorial Day weekend, they called, they set things up with my wife, they were right back there. Now, when, when it comes time for me to clean my carpets again somewhere down the road, I'm going to be more likely to choose this company, right, because of the way they responded, the way that they acted. Well, friends... <laughs> We have to do the same thing in Adventist education. We have to be professional. We have to treat our customers, our constituents, our family members. We have to treat them in a professional manner. We need to communicate with them. We have to tell them a week or two or however much time is needed to plan appropriately when a field trip's coming, not the day before. Amen. We, we, need to, we, need to, we need to tell them and communicate because we're a professional organization. And when we act professionally and we have a high level of quality, people are going to step forward and they're going to respond in kind. Yes? Just another comment. Um, my son's um, preschool, no, no, young guys class, I'm sorry, I went to a Christian um, preschool and then the same class for um, young guys. And I was really impressed with the way the teacher handled the communication on what the kids were learning. Mm -hmm. Once a month, she sent home a newsletter that was specifically for her class and it told what, what they were working on, what they were going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to see. Then you could work on those things at home with them, too. That's right. But that was very, very appreciative. But the field trip thing, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so field trip tomorrow? Right. I'm just getting this today. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, our teachers are extremely busy. There are so many things going on. You might be planning for the Christmas program, Thanksgiving program and things might not be as timely as normal. But in general, we want to make sure that we are communicating, that we have a professional demeanor in how we interact with our students and how we interact with our families. I think it goes a long ways. It goes a long ways um, when we see those things. We need to make sure that our schools are clean. We don't have the newest buildings, but they can be clean. We don't have the most up-to-date, granite-topped bathrooms and sinks and whatever. They can be clean. They should be clean. Um, what would you rather go into? A really, really clean 1970s bathroom or a really, really filthy 2016 bathroom? So, so a lot of those things can be overlooked if we're, the program itself and the way that we handle things are good. Now, when we look at some of those uh, items on the, the lower part there, the leadership, the hiring standard, the consistency, the accountability... 
You know, I feel a great deal of responsibility, and I don't want to speak for my boss, but I would assume she would too, that we have high standards of quality when we look at hiring practices. Do we always get it right? No, but we pray, we ask the Lord to lead, and we have a very, very high standard when it comes to spirituality. That's the first thing that we think about and work through and vet when we look at a candidate. We're on Facebook. We're talking to them about spiritual things. We're asking them about their devotional life. Tell me a little bit about your devotional life. We don't just say, do you have a devotional life? We ask them what they do for their devotional life. What do you do in your devotional life? We ask them those questions. We ask them, we, we want to make sure that all of those things are as shored up as possible because when a teacher stands in front of a classroom, we have to put our heads in the pillow at night feeling like the person that is standing in front of that classroom is going to represent Jesus. Are they perfect? No. But they need to have a connection with Christ and that has to come through because we want to bring our students to the foot of the cross. We want, th we want them to be evangelized for the kingdom of heaven. So we want to have high um, hiring standards. We want to teach and train our teachers how to be leaders. Half of our schools are one-room schoolhouses. So in the midst of teaching spelling and math and all of those different things, our teachers are actually leading a school. They're the principal. They work with a pastor. And so we have a burden to help train our teachers and our principals on leadership, how to lead a school, not just manage a school. John Maxwell, if you've ever heard of him, he's a leadership guru. He talks a lot about leading versus managing. And if you're managing something, you're just continuing to go with the trend that already exists. If you're leading something, you're visionary and you have the opportunity to make positive change. That's what we want to see in some of our schools. And accountability. We want to have healthy accountability. Accountability that is not looking over people and hawking them, but also maintaining an environment where teachers know that we have a certain level of expectation uh, with their paperwork, with their grading, with their communication to family members. All of those things we want to make sure that those things uh, exist as we work with our schools. Think about Daniel for a moment. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 through 5, the Bible says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Can you believe that? So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against, Dan against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. That is so incredibly powerful. The question that comes out of that passage is this. If Daniel would have lacked quality at any level of his professional life, would he have had an opportunity to witness for God? No. Because they would have found something wrong. Oh, oh Daniel, look, look, look in the books. You fudged the numbers a little bit right there when you were settling the accounts of the king. Look, your majesty, look here. Daniel pocketed. Look. Oh, Daniel didn't hold this person accountable. He let them get away with some uh, this, that, and the other in their arena of, of work. Daniel's ability to witness for God was not compromised one bit because he was faithful in his professional life. If we lack professional quality at any level of our schools, we can run the risk of handicapping our ability to witness for God. We run the risk. 
Daniel took care of everything that was his responsibility to do, and the only thing that was left was his relationship with God. Well, I sure want to be in a position where I'm letting God fight my battles for me. How about you? Because we know that when Daniel went out down into the lion's den, they didn't touch him. When our schools go down into the lion's den, if we've been faithful, if we've had professionalism, high-quality academics to the best of our ability, if we've been communicating with parents, if we've had high standards, then people are not going to be able to criticize us and use those things as an excuse for not sending their child, for having an issue with the school. We are going to be left like Daniel and Joseph, faithful in all those things, and it gives God a chance to witness. I don't want to belabor this point too much, but I want to really strongly emphasize it. If we don't have quality at all levels of our school program, we run the risk of handicapping our ability to witness for God. So again, our schools aren't perfect, but we need to do the best we can in these areas because when we do, we are witnessing for God. The mission and message. This is the last of the key three. The mission and the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. How many of you know what Great Commission is stated in Matthew chapter 28? Go ye therefore, right, to all nations, making disciples, baptizing people, okay, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. This is the Great Commission that's been given to our church. And what does it say in Matthew 25, 40? Does anybody know? Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. If you know Matthew chapter 25, you know that it has three parables in it. Okay? The last of those three parables is the parable of the sheep and the goats. How many of you know which parable I'm talking about? The goats are put off on the left side and the sheep are put on the right. The sheep go to heaven, right? And the goats don't. Poor goats, but that's what the parable is. What is the, dif what is the distinguishing difference between the sheep and the goats? What is the difference between the two of them? When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. Okay? How we treat people. So the Great Commission is, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Chapter 25 of Matthew talks about how we are to treat each other. How we are to minister to each other. Look at what Ellen White says in Christian Service, page 64, about how important service and outreach is, the mission and message of our church. Look how important she says it is to the education of our young people. It is necessary to their, can you read that word? Complete education that students be given time to do missionary work, time to become acquainted with the spiritual needs of the families and the community around them, they should not be so loaded down with studies that they have no time to use the knowledge they have acquired. They should be encouraged to make earnest missionary effort for those in error, becoming acquainted with them, and taking to them the truth. By working in humility, seeking wisdom from Christ, praying and watching unto prayer, they may give to others the knowledge that has enriched their lives. You see, friends, number three is directly correlated and tied into number one. What was the first key? 
brings students to the foot of the cross. Do you know that it is so important to bring students to the foot of the cross and infuse into them a relationship with Christ? But if we do not have an outlet for them in service and outreach activities, we will be missing the completion of that loop. Here's why. Well, I mean, she just continues to go on to talk about um, engaging the students in city mission work, doing mission work in the surrounding towns and villages. They can form themselves into bands to do Christian help work. Students need to take a broad view of their present obligations to God, not at a time when the school term closes that they should do a work for God, but should study how during their student life to yoke up with Christ in unselfish service. It's not enough to fill the minds of the youth with lessons of deep importance. They must learn to impart what they have received. From our colleges and training schools, missionaries are to be sent forth to distant lands. While at school, let the students improve every opportunity to prepare for this work. Notice what it says. Here they are to be tested and proved. So, how does one link up with three? I have a three-year-old little guy. His name is Josiah, and he loves to play. Maybe some of you have seen him running around. He is just full of energy. Camp meeting has been a blessing because when it's time for bed, um, we're not really having to fight it too much. Let's just put it that way. But let's just say one day I take Josiah to the playground, and I take him all around this playground, and I show him all the different apparatus that are available there, the swing sets. I teach him how to swing. I show him the slide. I climb up the monkey bars, and I tell him the technical and theoretical aspects of every single part of the playground. And then we get into the car, and we head home. And as we're driving home, I turn back in the back car seat, and I say, Josiah, how did you like the playground? What do you think Josiah is going to say to me? I don't know. I don't know, Daddy. He'd probably say, you didn't let me try it. Let's just say he's about five or six. You didn't let me try it. Well, what do you mean, Josiah? I mean, I took you to the playground. We drove all the way there. I carried you around. I showed you all. I showed you how the swing worked. I showed you how the monkey bars work. I told you the technical things to do when you swing, you know, pull back on the chain and kick your feet out. And that's how you swing. I mean, I told you everything about it. Why don't you like the playground? Because I've never experienced it for myself. The unfortunate thing that we're doing in too many situations is we are giving our kids a theoretical knowledge of what it means to be a Christian. We're giving them a theoretical knowledge of what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I mean, I taught Bible 3. It's the heavy doctrines year. And I taught my kids all 28 fundamental beliefs. I taught them the sanctuary. I taught them um, different aspects of the doctrines of the church. And are those things valuable? Absolutely. They are core foundational anchors in our relationship with Christ. But if I don't give my students an opportunity to experience the theory of what we talk about in Christianity, they are never going to take ownership of that belief. They're never going to see a complete circle. And I believe that's why Ellen White says it is necessary to their complete education. So if you are lacking outreach and service in your school, are you completely educating your students? You're not. This is a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. 
I'm so glad that our schools have Bible Labs programming, where each school is responsible to go out into the community and to take the young people and to visit nursing homes and fill baskets and you know, do all kinds of service and outreach. But I want to go a step further. I think that service and outreach, based upon what Ellen White says, how important she says it is, rather, I think that we need to infuse Bible labs and outreach and service even more intentionally into our curriculum. When we, before we went to Indiana Academy, I was sitting in my living room reading Christian Service, page 64. Why? I'd been asked to serve on the Youth Evangelism Committee for the Lake Union, and Gary Suds, the director, had asked us all to read certain portions of the book Christian Service. And as I was reading that book, I was just blown away with how clearly Ellen White was saying that we needed to have outreach in our schools and we were not completely educating them if we didn't do it. We have a lot of in-reach in our school programs where we minister to our own people. That's good. But when you look at the pure outreach, I think we're a little anemic sometimes. And we went to Indiana Academy. God placed on my heart Isaiah chapter 58. I would encourage you to write that down and to go and read that chapter because the Bible is so incredibly clear about how we as Christians should be treating one another. God's saying, is this the fast I've chosen? The fast I've chosen is for you to feed the hungry, to do things for other people, not to give me this form of worship. Say, look, Lord, this is what I'm doing for you. No, no. What are you doing for other people? How are you sacrificing of yourself for other people. And so when we went to Indiana Academy, God provided an amazing opportunity for us to implement a school-wide outreach ministry. And we called it Project 58. You remember that. And it's still going on today. Once a month, we took our entire school and our entire faculty. There was one girl that had to stay back and work with the 600 cows that were on campus there. But we had eight different outreach pods. We had a single mom's oil change. We had a prison ministry. Actually, the gentleman, um, Lemuel Vega, from Christmas Behind Bars, he's here at camp meeting. We worked with him. We had our young people in the prisons, thankfully not for crimes, um, but they were there ministering to, to people that, had, that were in jail. We had um, uh, a bread ministry where we got the old cafeteria bakery recipe from the archives and baked bread and handed it out to the community. We had a Meals on Wheels program where we would take uh, lunches, kids would pack lunches and take them into the homes of shut-in people and would eat lunch with them, clean their house, play games, do all kinds of things with them. Um, our idea was, if the doors of this academy closed, would anybody in the community even care? And unfortunately, the answer was no. I mean, people wondered what that school was. What is it, a, a reforms place? Or, you know, they didn't know. But when Project 58 started and as it got going, people in the community started to know who we were. As a matter of fact, the elementary school wanted to put a sign in front of their school, and when the village found out that it was connected with Indiana Academy, they said, oh yeah, yeah, we know you guys. And they ended up giving them the, um, what is the word when you have to get a, it was a permit, but it was a variance. They gave them a variance for that. So the young people actually had an opportunity to take the theory of what it means to be a Christian, all the stuff they learned in Sabbath school, all the stuff they learned in family worship, all the stuff they learn in school, in Bible class, and chapel, and vespers, and dorm worship, and 
all of these different things, and they actually got to see Christianity applied. And I'm telling you, here's the key part of it. When a young person experiences the love of Christ flowing through them and hitting somebody else, they are given an opportunity, well, the, the chance, the opportunity for them to say that Jesus isn't real is taken away because they see the impact that it has on somebody's life. Let me tell you a quick story about it. We had our Meals on Wheels program. Can I tell you two stories? Two stories. We had our Meals on Wheels program, and we would fill out, and I have to tell you this too, my wife, um, we didn't have the money to fund a coordinator. We didn't want to burden down one of our faculty members because they're busy enough. And so my wife and Kathy Griffin, another person on staff there, they volunteered to step forward and help coordinate this whole ministry. It wouldn't have happened without them. So I'm just very, very grateful to them. And so they coordinated it. And I'm telling you, when you're running eight different outreach pods and you've got over 80 students and the faculty members sponsoring each pod, you can imagine the organization that it takes to do something like that. And they did it so professionally. And they had a form that these elderly would fill out that were shut in, and it had what their likes were, what their interests were, what their dietary needs were, and the kids would take those sheets and they would go through the cafeteria line and pick the foods out that would be good for them. And then if they liked word puzzles, they would bring them word puzzles and they would sit and play with them. Well, this one gentleman who was shut in, we went over to his house to visit, and these two boys were there, and they came to the door and they saw the man open the door, and he was decked out to the tees. His hair was all slicked back. Of course, I, I don't know what that's like anymore, but his hair was all slicked back, and he had his best suit on, and he had his best shoes on. He had visitors that day. And those boys went in there, and they had lunch with him, and then they had found out that he wanted, liked word puzzles, and they gave him some word puzzles, and they had a great time in the afternoon. Three to four hours we would spend doing this outreach activity. And when they got ready to leave, he went to hand them back the word puzzle books. And they said, no, no, we brought these for you. And he said, this day couldn't get any better. Now, when you're a young person and you see that kind of impact, when you sit down and you listen to a sermon about the gospel, when you sit down and you listen to a Bible teacher talk about Christianity and about religion and about the story of the Good Samaritan, You can't step away from that and say that God's not real. Why? Because you've tested theory with practice. You've tested theory with practice. We have labs for every science class we have, but when it comes to the lab that can validate the theory of Christianity and the theory of Adventism, sometimes we don't have enough of a balance and then we wonder why our kids don't leave the church. They don't have any ownership in it. Why am I going to stay in something that I don't have ownership to and just listen to people talk at me all the time? When you give them an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good, they're going to say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Well, we had this um, single mom's oil change, and we put flyers up all over the local area in the, in the library, professional-looking flyers, and they were to call in, and then we would take down their name and their information and what kind of car they had, and then we would order the oil and the appropriate filter and all of that different stuff. And this lady showed up to our school, And she had lost her job. She lost her house. She was sleeping on a friend's couch. Didn't have anything. Her son said, Mom, I'll change the oil for you if you just give me the oil. She couldn't even buy the oil. 
And so she came and she showed up to Indiana Academy where our maintenance director, along with some other people. Because we had a table with kids sitting there with muffins and drinks so that they could talk to the people while they were getting their oil changed. And then we had the other people. We had a pit in our maintenance area. And they'd go down there and the guys would go down and change the oil. And the, I mean, it was just phenomenal. And this lady said how much of a blessing it was that these kids, that, that, that she could get her oil changed at Indiana Academy. And then we had a lady from the community that was not an Adventist. She was homeschooling her four kids. She called the academy and asked us, listen, I've heard about this outreach ministry you guys have. Can my children be a part of this outreach ministry? And she actually brought her family and she participated in Project 58 with her kids because they wanted, she wanted them to be a part of this outreach ministry. She actually decided to send her daughter to the elementary school for eighth grade because of that. So it was phenomenal. We would have the outreach ministry on Tuesday and then Wednesday at chapel time, right before lunch, we would have testimony time. And good luck having a dry eye when you listen to those kids talk about how impactful it was to be used by God to minister to somebody else. It was just an amazing, amazing experience. And my prayer is that those young people, when they mature even more and they become adults, they will feel like they have seen Christianity in action. And that all the stuff that mom and dad said and the pastor and the Bible teachers and all they said about Jesus and about Christianity, about being an Adventist, my prayer is that they will say, you know what, I've seen it in action. I've seen it. We take our kids into the prisons. We took them into the, into the county jails. 3ABN came up one time and, and videoed um, Christmas Behind Bars and Indiana Academy was there and we actually ministered and did a program. We would take care packages to the, to the prisoners. The kids would go to the factory where they would bag up thousands of bags for these prisoners and they would go into the prisons and actually minister to these inmates. And the guards would say, the sergeant of one of the main jails, she said, of all the groups that come in, doesn't matter who it is, of all the groups that come in, your kids have the greatest impact on the behavior of these prisoners, and their behavior is better for a longer period of time after your kids are there. Friends, I've seen it. I'm telling you, when we train our young people in the mission and the message of the church, we complete that circle for their experience because we introduce them to Christ, we share the gospel with them, we infuse the importance of surrender to Jesus, confession, repentance, conversion, and then we give them something practical that they can do with that experience. A lake is, a, is usually clear because it has an inlet and then it has an outlet. A pond is stagnant because it doesn't have an outlet. We become spiritual ponds if we don't have the opportunity to let what Jesus has done for us out. We would have people come to the school and say, hey, we heard you guys do mission and outreach stuff. Would you mind helping us clean up our yard? An elderly lady came one time. Of course, and they'd take a group over and do that. We cleaned out this lady's horse stall that was that deep in horse manure. We have a, a high-speed video of the kids going in there and shoveling and wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow. It was phenomenal. So that is the, th the third um, key when it comes to um, the three keys. Bringing students to the foot of the cross, having quality at all levels, and training them in the mission and message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. If we see 
these three elements at work in a school, we are more than likely to see successful outcomes happening. We're more likely to see a young person coming out of our school really being prepared as Ellen White says they should be in the book Education. When we see those three things at work, we're more likely to see success. Do we have any questions? We're finishing a little bit early. And hey, that's not always bad, is it? Don't you, didn't you love it when the teacher would say, well, guys, we're, out of, we're done now. Go ahead and leave. Does anyone have any questions, any comments related to what we talked about today? Don't leave with any questions in your mind because we've got some time to answer them. Yes? I just want to comment. Um, I worked in Pathfinders for years that. And I always felt that I'd had parents come to me and talk to me about how oh, my students are so busy studying, they're so busy doing mm -hmm. this, like kids, you know. And then they would say, well, you know, Pathfinders isn't important. And I would say, well, from a spiritual standpoint, Pathfinders, we need to have our schools, and I always said that first, and our churches, and our homes, and Pathfinders is part of the church, mm -hmm. and it's our outreach for our young people mm -hmm. serving. And I says, Pathfinders teaches them the hands-on. A lot of times with the school, they have to teach the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And when they come to Pathfinders, they can actually practice those fundamentals. That's right. So I said, it's an all, it's a total team effort. Yep. And then I'd have some parents or kids are getting up close to going to academy. Well, I'm glad my kids are in Pathfinders. Now I'm used to them going away for a weekend once in a while. <laughs> They're going to be gone for a month now. How do mm. I handle that? You know? yeah, yeah. But it's the stepping stones that young people need. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. Other questions, other comments before we finish up? Yes, ma'am. What can we do as church members to make the people <coughs> in our church realize the importance of free communication? It seems like it is not valued like it was when I was young. That's a great question. I give up my Christian education experience yep. for a lot. Yep. That's a great question, and I'd open it up for others to jump in, and Diane also. I think the most important thing we need to do is first, as an institution, as a school, at the local level, make sure that we're taking care of the business we're supposed to be taking care of. Because if, if any of those three things are lacking, then I think people within our constituency and our churches are not going to see the value. If, if those things are shored up and we're, we're, our schools are evangelism centers, they're bringing students to the foot of the cross, we have quality at all the levels that we need to have it, and we're providing outreach opportunities for our, for our kids, most families that have an interest in the core philosophy of Adventist education are going to want to have their kids in those schools. The other thing I think that's really important is I would personally like to know more about why you would never trade your experience in Adventist education. I think we need more people to, to step up at church and give testimonies about why Adventist education was so impactful to them. Let me ask you that question right now for the next couple minutes. Why was your experience so impactful? Why would you not trade it for anything? Because I am very sure I would have left the church and I'm going to public school. I, I, just briefly, I'll tell you, I went to Adelphia and I was so homesick. I cried and cried and cried. <laughs> 
I finally went home and I convinced my mother that if I came to Cedar Lake where her younger sister was, that then I'd be okay. So my folks moved with me down to the Cedar Lake. And I arrived here and I just started crying again. So <laughs> they said I could go home and go to public school in ninth grade. And I promised I would go back in tenth grade. So I went over to the public school to register. Mm. While I was walking over there, my mother, who was friends with the principal, called him and said, don't let her register. <laughs> so when I went, he said, we have no Bible class. <clears throat> and I think two other classes I had were taught at the same time in the little high school of North. So he told me I couldn't come to school there. Well, I was young enough and not too smart. I didn't know he had to let me in. <laughs> so I went back home. I'd been to Adelphi and Cedar Lake in high school and the weekend. I was registered no place. So I finally went back to Adelphine and I looked back on that. My mother must have cried her eyes out too. But once I made friends, I was all right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I know I would have gotten involved with not bad things, but all the things they do on Saturday. Yes. Right. Exactly. And I'm just sure I would have loved it. And for a young person, in the teenage years especially, they're, they're formulating their identity and who they are and who they're going to be. And a lot of that identity is, is qualified and, and identified by their peers. And so as a teenager, when you're in that environment, you're going to want to do the things your friends are doing. And you end up compromising a lot of times your spiritual values. Um, yes, did you have your hand up? I was just going to say, my experience with Christian education is the one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. I went to Grand Haven uh, Elementary School. I was in fourth grade. I went to Escanaba mm -hmm. for my fifth and sixth grade years. And then wow. Pontiac Junior Academy. And every one of them, some of them were bigger schools than others, mm -hmm. but every one of them had that personal one-on-one -on -one with your teacher and with your classmates. Mm. It wasn't a huge production. It was more personal. Mm. Thank you. Um, to answer your question, I think another thing that we can do is to help um, sponsor a child. I think that um, in our church, where we pastored Melbourne for six years, you know, there are different church members who will one man donates at least $20,000 a year just so that kids that can't afford to go and go to really help people financially. Because I think some just know they can afford it, and so they, they don't feel it's even possible. So I, I think that um, if we can help, you know, with, and I know before we had children, we sent out our nephews you know, to, to our schools. So, you know. Thank you. Well, to piggyback on what you were talking about, sort of testimony, mm -hmm. um, I would love to see, if, if possible, and, and um, people in the local churches would need to let the education department know about it. But I'd love to see a DVD produced with this kind of a testimony. Uh, we have a young man in Holland Church who uh, we just rebaptized at, at Thanksgiving Sabbath. He had gone to, to uh, church school through eighth grade, decided when he got we didn't have anything past eighth grade there in Holland uh, when he was there. And so he went to public school for the next four years. Um, drugs, uh, it looked 
real sick girlfriend, whatever. We <coughs> got in trouble with the law. It was just a terrible mess. And finally, got out of high school, and the girl they hooked up with got pregnant, and that kind of was a wake up call. They came back to church, got rebaptized. But his testimony was that going to public school was the worst decision, the worst thing that, that he ever could have done. And I wonder if, if some of these kinds of testimonies, uh, the positive end of one like this lady has, and, and, and his concern over what he went through, might somehow reach people and help them to realize that um, it's really not safe. As, as much as we may have things in our schools that we'd like to be perfect and they can't be, uh, the, the risk it's not worth the risk of, of public school. Especially now. I see that produced, but it's going to have to be the local churches and the pastors and so forth that let them know, hey, I've got this testimony that could be We could communicate out to them that we're looking for those things. Yes? I, uh, I think it's a little easier for people who have gone through the Adventist education system to continue on with their children. Mm -hmm. As long as they have good experience. Yeah, um, exactly. My father worked two or three jobs to put us kids through, wow. through school. What an example for me wow. and my sisters to put forth to their children. Um, I have, I'm a couple of years away from three kids being in academy at the same time. That's a year's salary mm -hmm. <laughs> for some. I will do whatever is possible to, you know, to get my kids through that school. And I think a lot of, another part of it is a lot of that comes um, for those who haven't had that uh, privilege of going to Adventist education. Our Sabbath schools are the biggest yes. um, education part to begin with. If you have kids and parents that are involved in active Sabbath school classrooms, not just Sabbath morning, but doing other active things. The kids want to keep that type of uh, a process going. Yeah. And it's, it's easier to get kids into our schools. Yep. Somewhere the, the parents have to understand that it is a necessary sacrifice to make it to, to have Christian education. And if, if parents associate eternal consequences with their kids being in Adventist education, they'll be more likely to do it. And I think we have to make sure as a system, I'm talking system-wide, not just here in this conference, but I think we have to make sure in our system that our schools are not starting to become molded to the secular model. Because why, why would a parent want to work two to three jobs if they felt like the only thing different in this school compared to this other school is that they have Bible class? They've got the competitive sports. They've got all these different things that are running neck and neck with secular institutions. I'm, I'll send them there for free. You know, so it's it's a different thing. Yes. From a teacher's standpoint, I recognized very early on in my career that having the support from the older generations is vital because my first year teaching, I did I walked into a school not having the support of the older generation, and it filtered down, and the younger generation therefore had no reason to value it, and that school shut down. Mm. 
because it finally came to a head. There wasn't that support. And then I went to a school that did have the support and the value of the older generation, and they were active. They volunteered, they gave their finances, they gave, they mentored the younger generation, and that school thrived mm. much, much more. Mm. And I'm not currently teaching, but our um, local school that we're at right now um, is in a little bit of a crisis because out of 36 students, we just graduated 12 from eighth grade. Wow. You know, and that's a real <clears throat> for a school. And so what they've been, part of what they've been doing is having the older generation saving time during the church service to give testimony wow. of what Agnes Education did for them. Wow. Both of the really older generation and of the ones who have just recently graduated out. And those who had their children in public school versus and Adventist school and wow. realizing that there was a need. Wow. And so I think there are many things that the older generation can do. Being active in the school, even just coming out to support the programs, yep. means so much. And there's encouragement to the teacher. <laughs> yep. It's very important. And that's so powerful. And I think about my own experience having an older generation person come up to me in the lobby of the church because he'd heard that I might not be going to the academy. And the only other option was really public school. And he asked, he asked me all about that and then said, I'm going to put money in your bill every year to make sure that you can go to the academy because I didn't have the chance to do that. So, I mean, he, and, and that was a, a catalyst to helping me come up here to spend two of the most formative years of my entire life. So I think that what you're saying, it is invaluable to hear testimony. That's why when you said, I wouldn't trade my Adventist educational experience for anything. I don't remember exactly how you worded it, but, you know, well, why? What, what was it that, and I think testimonies and those personal contacts, I don't know. I mean, do you, think, do you think a young family would be offended if somebody came up to them and said, is there something I can do to help, help you put your kids in the Adventist school? It was such a value for me. I don't know, you know, I mean, are we, we're so politically correct now in everything we do. Yes? I taught in a public high school for 25 years, mm. and I, it was a very affluent high school. Mm -hmm. Good kids. Mm -hmm. No problem with the educational standards. Yep, yep. yep. But our principal asked us if we would stand in the classroom door just during break to just kind of keep an eye on the kids. And I used to stand there some days and I would say to myself, if the people in my church could see what I'm seeing and hear what I'm hearing, they wouldn't say Christian education is too expensive. Ooh, preach it, sister. Wow. We have actually a glow track that we just put out. Yeah, we have a, we have a new glow track and we have some that are up here and I'd encourage you to grab it. And the subtitle of that Glow track is sort of akin to what you were just saying. It's too expensive not to. Uh, it's too expensive not to. Now, are we saying our schools are perfect? Oh, my, no. There are a lot of people that have had some unfortunate situations, and we've had some teachers that haven't done what we've wanted them to do. But when you look at mitigating risk, if you're, of course, we're not talking about gambling, but if you were wagering, I would want to wager on having my child in an Adventist environment for eight hours a day. My husband and I says, that I don't want to have to deprogram my child every day from ever. Exactly. Come home and have him unlearn yeah. what we've tried to teach him. So yeah. it's not an option. It's yeah. not. And it's, it's beyond evolution now. It's oh, yeah. social studies. You can fill in the blanks. All of those things. And 
even if you try to deprogram your child, they're still becoming calloused and they're still becoming more acquainted with and potentially comfortable with things that are completely in aversion to what we believe as Christians. And that is a serious thing. Yes, Dad, and then... One, one thing we haven't talked about is, is uh, other Christian schools. And Holland may be a little, a little different than some of the other communities. It's the highest percentage of church people in Michigan and strong Christian schools in this land. One of our church members sent their oldest son to Holland Christian uh, for grades one and two. Better academics, blah, 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 you know, those kind of reasonings. Um, but after those first two years, they pulled him out of there, put him in our school, because they found that he was being invited to birthday parties, Sabbath, you know, and, and forming friendships and so forth mm -hmm. with, with those kind of things where, where the Sabbath was always being, you know, uh, in the middle, and, and the interesting thing that happened with that is them them doing that and and now investing in our school um, caused a uh, a uh, get the reaction that they call it, but our enrollment went up by eight or nine kids that year because of the influence of this family, and and then this family got on board, and this one and that one. And and so there there's a uh, collateral effect mm -hmm. of uh, the influence that the families have one way or the other. That's right. That's really the greatest advertisement, isn't it? I mean, it's not a brochure, it's not a flyer. It's the quality of your program and word of mouth. People getting that out. Well, wow! Thank you so much. I think the last part was better than all the rest of it. Uh, all of the insights. And you know, what can we do with what we've talked about today? It's like that. It's like that. Um, guy that was picking up, what was he picking up? Those little sand dollar organisms on the seashore, and he's picking one up and throwing them, and there were thousands on the shore, and, and the, the guy, starfish, and, and the guy came along and said, well, what are you doing? I mean, there's thousands of them. And he said, you can't make a difference in any of this. And he, he picked up one, and he threw it, and he said, I made a difference in that one. Mm -hmm. Each of you here in this small breakout can be an ambassador for what we've talked about today, and you can take this information and you can share it. Um, tomorrow we're going to be fleshing out a little bit more this concept of the three-legged stool. We're going to be pulling in how the home, the school, and the church are that vital collaboration that's needed. If you have a three-legged stool and you're missing one of the legs, it's not going to balance. And we're going to look at how the church, the home, and the school can be a part of the key three. And how each of those entities can carry forward the, the um, bringing students to the cross quality at all levels, and training in the mission and message of the church. So let's close with prayer, and I thank you so much for coming today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for having us education. Lord, as we continue to work and generate ideas and do what we can, we pray that your spirit would bathe us and, and give us power and wisdom. We want every young person that is possible to be in our schools, and we want our schools to represent the blueprint that you've given us of how they should be. So help us to that end, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com.
www.thepeopleofgod.org.